Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. This is a podcast connecting people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Since the beginning of this program, the Esteem Awards and its founder, Phil Esteem, has been a regular source of support and introductions to the most interesting guest. Wyatt O'Brien Evans is one of those individuals. Wyatt is the quintessential Renaissance man. He's a journalist, author, radio personality, intimate partner violence and abuse subject matter expert, advocate and speaker, voiceover instructor, and talent. Yes, he is all that. His work has been featured in various print and online media outlets. Wyatt founded and is editor-in-chief of and a writer for WyattEvans.com, a leading online news features, commentary, and entertainment media outlet for the LGBTQ plus community and its allies. As a child, Wyatt wrote poems, short stories, and even a series of comic books. This journey led him to author the groundbreaking and popular Nothing Can Tear Us Apart series of novels. Intimate partner violence and abuse is an overarching theme. We're looking forward to learning more about this Renaissance man and hear about the latest installment in the Nothing Can Tear Us Apart series, Shattered. Wyatt, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you? Michelle, good afternoon. I am doing great. First of all, thank you for having me on your program. Secondly, I have to give a big shout-out to Mr. Philip Esteem, who connected us. And number three, Michelle, when this interview is over, we need to talk about me hiring you as my PR person. That was a great introduction. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Thank you. I mean, I love Phil. I mean, I met Phil, I want to say, I had published my first book of poetry, and I had someone who said, you know, this is something, I was on his show, and we just sort of connected and started doing, Mm -hmm. found that we had that common goal of lifting up people in the community, and so for the longest, you know, we were like that, then, of course, he gave me an esteem award, then I, I went into something else. And then I got another steam award when I started doing podcasting with another group of people. And, you know, he's just one of those people that recognizes that those of us who have that creative side, we need Mm -hmm. a platform, a voice, a forum to talk to and know about each other. And we're stronger together. So Mm I always go, you know, if you hear somebody and if you know somebody who's great, tell me. And he said, you, got, you need to talk to this guy. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> and I, I said, okay, fine. So I reached out to you and here you are. I'll tell you, one of the first things, and I, I'm kind of thinking you might be yet another brother from another mother. <laughs> because I mean, I'm reading you and, you know, as a child, I too wrote poems and short stories. And um, 
and I often tell people, like, they're saying, like, well, what did you, I had an aunt who was a school teacher, and I would write her these little letters and my little short stories, and she would send them back corrected with red ink. But you know what? <laughs> I did not get discouraged. It helped me be better. But then after a while, I quit writing her. And later she said, well, why did you, you quit writing me? I said, because uh, you corrected them. But later on, I found out that she also did poetry and wrote short stories. So she was helping me. When you wrote oh. poems and your short stories as a child, and I know you even did a series of comic books, couldn't draw, mine would have been stick figures. What was your influence? What made you say, you know, I got these stories I want to tell? Exactly. Before I go into that, I just want to quickly say that Phil, I just had Phil on my Wyatt podcast, the Wyatt mm-hmm. show. That episode comes out on the 19th Saturday of this month. So thank you for that, Phil. Mm-hmm. Okay, now to your question. Um, wow. You know, Michelle, when I was like less than nine months old, I began to talk in full sentences. So I've always loved to talk. I always had stories in my head that ne- that I felt needed to be told. I started out with poetry, and I won awards for poetry as well in school, short stories. Like I said, I created a collection of comic books. I wrote, you know, I wrote them. I illustrated them, that sort of thing. Um, so I guess that was the entrepreneurial spirit you know, like it was 10, 11, 12, 13. So mm-hmm. I always believed that I had a story that was substantive and entertaining to tell. Hmm. What kind yeah. of, when you were in school, did you did you see yourself and were you um, encouraged by family, teachers, and whatever to pursue a career as a writer, even a journalist, an author, write a book? Absolutely. My mother was, my father died when I was very young, so I really didn't know Mm -hmm. him. So my mother raised me. She was both mother and father. So she, she instilled in me the importance of education and being aware of what was going on in the world. We would, we would watch news programs together, civic affairs programs together. Um, so she really instilled that drive to write, to go into journalism. So I knew early on that I wanted to be a journalist, I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be a storyteller. So my mother was the biggest influence where that was concerned. Did she hang on to any of those early books or poems, and they, like later on, yeah. did you say, like, oh, look, son, really? Uh-huh. Were you yeah. surprised? Um, good question. Yeah, she did. The, and it was so funny, Michelle, because when she passed and I looked through her stuff, she had everything. She had awards. She had the poems, the stories that I wrote that I got awards for poetry stories that I would give her personally. It was like oh. this, um, it was like a treasure trove of stuff. And I, I knew she kept some stuff, but I had no idea that she 
kept practically everything. Mm. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, again, yeah. When my, it, it's funny when my mother. They, they, this is how this sort of tells you the dynamic. My mother, when my mother passed, I found all of those little writings and things. When my mm-hmm. father passed, I found all the awards. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it was, you know, really, it was like, oh, okay. I mean, uh, and it was funny, like here in this closet and in drawers are all every award, like from like early in elementary school, you know, that he kept. She kept all the writings oh. and little stories and little, little little handmade cards and stuff. And that just sort of like cracked me up, you know, like, okay, well, we see what mattered to each other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, but, and even in our relationship with each other, I knew that he valued a certain level of doing that. Because interestingly, like, although she encouraged me to be whatever I wanted to, he would often say, well, why are you trying to do that, you know? You need to go and get a degree in accounting so you can make some real money, right. you know. Uh, you know. But did you ever hear that? I mean, fortunately, you had a really encouraging mother. But uh, And not only hearing that, but you and I know as black, queer creatives, the mm-hmm. doors aren't always there. Did you oh, ever God, have no. a moment like... Like, you know, let me put this on the side and go get me a real job, you know. You know, um, my mother was both, she believed in you, one, being practical, you know, having a good avocation profession. So she said, boy, you're going to school and finish it. But, you know, she felt like if I could get degrees, I could do pretty much what I wanted you know, professionally. Um, oh, gosh, I, I forgot your question. Please repeat. Well, you know, it was. Like, did you ever say, you know, this is what my heart tells me I want to do. Oh, but, okay. you know, right. life's hard. You know, did you want to put it on the back burner and then just go out and find something else? You know? It, right. For me, it has always had to be journalism, some form of writing, Fortunately, when I graduated, I went to George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and I got two BAs from GWU in political science and journalism. I was lucky that as soon as I finished college, the university, I got paying writing jobs, mm. like in, their, in companies, corporate affairs, corporate communications, departments, in places and organizations where I could write and be paid for it. So I was lucky where that was concerned. Yeah, I see that you that you have written for like the Advocate, the Huffington Post, Washington Blade, um, the Baltimore Gay Life, um, the Gay Mail Journal and Baltimore Out Loud. I mean that is that is great because I know many people who immediately don't get that. Did, do you find that, you know, you don't hide? I mean, you know, you are an out gay man. Has that been mm-hmm. a hindrance or a help? And do you find yourself put in a silo like, okay, it's a gay story. Wyatt, it's yours. Right. When I was, um, I'm in my 60s, so... 
Um, when I started my career in journalism, I was, you know, the times were so different different back then. You really couldn't come out without any type of ramification. And if you were if you were black and gay or SGO, same gender loving, you really had to think five, six, seven times before you mm-hmm. came out and before you would write on those type of topics. So during that time, up until the 2000s, it would be it wouldn't be any LGBTQ stuff for me. And I remember that in the 80s and the 90s, I used to do stand-up comedy. Wow. And I would be, yeah, I would be in clubs with, like, Wanda Sykes when she was in the closet mm-hmm. and she was trying to develop her act. And I was doing the same thing. I wanted to talk to, to, to do gay stuff. And I wasn't being my authentic self, so... With that, and I didn't have the hard skin to truly progress in the comedy field. So because of the times, I felt constrained and restricted as to what I, how to really express myself in those fields, in those professions. I wanted to be my authentic self, and it was killing me inside that I couldn't mm-hmm. get on stage and do gay SGL stuff where I couldn't really write about LGBTQ issues for organizations and for, and for publications back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Karen Williams is a, is a good friend of mine, and often we have had this conversation because she has always been – an out lesbian comedian. And she was talking about how, like, she would work with Wanda Sykes. I mean, she knew Wanda Sykes, and she knew other people who were gay, who were comedians, but they went to the way that was, they wanted to, they did their craft, where she was, she talked about how she had, by immediately coming out and, and going from that, how in some ways her career hadn't been as meteoric. But all, but then she also recognized that because they were able to, when they once Wanda and others were able to come out and be them, their authentic self, it it was at a time that really helped open the doors for many others. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, so so that's interesting because I mean I I hear that what that and what you're saying it's like you know you couldn't, but and I've also had the opportunity to meet Wanda Sykes because she supports. Uh, LGBTQ center here. And she right. talked about just like how you did, like it was hard to be out there doing it, not being able to be your authentic self. But now it's like paying it forward. Yeah. So do you ever think you'll go back to comedy or are you just funny for your friends? You know what, boy, you read my mind. Actually, I'm thinking about <laughs> doing that here. Seriously. Um, mm-hmm. Because with my radio show, Wyatt, the Wyatt podcast on YouTube mm-hmm. and Spotify. I, I, I use comedic elements in that as well. Um, so humor has always been such an important element, part of me. Um, when I do go back, probably next year, I've got to do. Um, I've got to do um, um, open mic nights because I got to get 
some of that mm-hmm. mojo back. I want to do a lot of open mics, like five, six, seven minutes. And actually, I'll just tell you this. Um, back right before my mother passed in the late 90s, um, HBO did um, one-half comedy hours. And I was in North Carolina auditioning for that. And mm-hmm. I made the first cut, but I didn't go into the finals. And I'll tell you this, Michelle, we had to come up with no more than four minutes. And it's hard for a comedian to be successful and to win that audience in only four minutes. Your stuff has to be right on point. Mm-hmm. So when I go back to do an open mic, I'm going to do strip it down to four or five minutes and build it up from there. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, and, and it's funny. Um, one of I've done open mic, and I've done, you know, open mic, and, I've, and often people are going like, you know, because I do this other part, too, and they go like, you know, you were funny. How did that, where was that, mm-hmm. you know? Or or even like just for the Esteem Awards, I know people who, who know me through the Esteem Awards who think that either I'm a poet or sometimes I'll sing or I'm an MC, and then they've seen me like do a political thing, and they go like, where did that come from? I said, I do all that. You know, I do all that. Uh, but I like how you how you say that. You know, how you you found an outlet to to keep that humor because you know sometimes you got to be able to laugh at, at at certain things and to be able to see the irony and the humor in things, and that you still yeah. have that. You know, um, you yeah. are so you are so accomplished in doing this, and I like how you know like. You're saying like, "Hey, I'm going back on that stage, and I'm going to do this." Yeah. Uh, does, does anyone go like, "Well, why do you need to?" You know, because I do say that you are the quintessential Renaissance man. Each time you get ready to do something different, does someone ever go like, "But you've done so much. Why don't you just chill now?" No, because <laughs> I mean, for example, stand-up comedy. If you are really killing it, Michelle, sometimes it's better than having an orgasm because you feel like you've got power over these people in a good way. It's it's Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. for for me, making people laugh when appropriate really nurtures me because so many of us need a laugh in order to continue with our day because there's so much crap going on. Um, and, you know, I think when I think when you begin to stand still and you don't do something new and you think that what you've done is enough, I think that's when you stagnate. I think Thank that you. being alive and feeling alive means that you're continuing to, to evolve, you're working at your craft, and it's all just very nurturing for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I read, and you do, you say you're an intimate partner, violence, and abuse subject matter expert. And I was listening to one of the interviews, and you said, you know, you weren't just like, you didn't read a book and take a class and say, here, let me talk to you about it. You're talking about it because you understand it intimately, you know. How hard, and I know it's almost like we have a stigma in most communities, like, I mean, the, the things that people don't want to talk about, you know, 
Right. Uh, they don't want to talk about their HIV status. They certainly don't want to talk about if their intimate partner has been physically, emotionally violent towards them. Because, you know, they don't always have to pop you in your eye to be violent towards you. Words can hurt. And I know that you, like me, being someone who deals a lot with words, so we know that sometimes someone can take a word and they might as well have shot you, you know? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, right. Um, I'm an intimate partner violence and it's intimate partner violence and abuse and the acronym is IPVA, subject matter expert, which means that I've done my due diligence. I constantly do research. As a journalist, that's one of my main issues that I write and report about. And I'm an activist. I'm a survivor. And one of the main reasons why I write my Nothing Can Tear Us Apart series of novels with Shattered being the brand-new sequel is because its main theme is intimate partner violence and abuse. And ITVA is simply domestic violence and abuse within the LGBTQ community. And it's such, it's not talked about enough, it's hidden away, it's like the elephant in the room, it's like it's in the closet. And there are more cases of IPVA within within our community than is than than is reported and what people want to talk about. And stigma is the driving force. It's like this albatross around your neck. You don't want to talk about it. And gay SGL men, Michelle, really have it hard where stigma is concerned because. No man wants it known that someone is beating his ass, that another mm-hmm. man, rather, beating his ass. So it's that whole stigma part. The police are becoming more enlightened and aware. It used to be a lot of police would say, well, you know, it's not abuse. It's just boys being boys. But mm-hmm. it's not. It's abuse. So... That's the main issue, the main thing, and nothing can tear us apart, Shattered. Well, you know, I had talked with a a woman who's a police officer who also is the LGBTQ liaison, and part of the reason why she advocated for this department to come is because she also found that often if they would get a call and the police would see that it was same gender-loving people, whether gay men or lesbians, they'd go like, you know, they didn't give it the right. attention. They didn't go out. And she was like, and then when they would get there, like you said, it was like, um, it was nothing, you know, it was just fooling around or because they didn't want to stay there. In your work as an expert, do, are you working with police departments to help them understand or to bring so and to help not only that, the police department, but members of our community recognize that no, it's not all right, and you need to call, and they need to respond. Right. Um, I'm doing more of that. And also, too, I'm the LGBTQ community chair for the National Trauma Education and Policy Board. And the board 
The function is basically to increase awareness about the impact and consequences of trauma, and we're trying to help shape policy. And my main issue is intimate partner violence and abuse. And what I'm advocating for is for the committee to work more with police departments um, to get them to understand that it's not, even though it's same sex, it's not boys being boys, it's not girls playing around, Nope, there's not, they aren't fooling around. This is serious, life-threatening, demoralized, potentially life-threatening, demoralizing, destructive behavior, cyclical mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had, I had it with someone else who also had written a book, and then he talked about, how, you know, that was one of the things that he t- he went for the longest about, you know, what was going wrong with his his first relationship and, and how he was being abused, but also that part of somehow or other in his mind, because he was a, as a gay, young gay man, that somehow mm-hmm. other he was, he couldn't tell anybody. He didn't want to tell any anybody because there's also that moral aspect where somebody would say like, oh, well, if you get right with the Lord or get right, get your right life right, this wouldn't be happening to you. And to where right. he, he was saying that he ended up going through a therapist, through talking support groups. So, so like, you know what? No, it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with any type of punishment or that I deserve this. I don't deserve this. And this is wrong. And we still right. have that, particularly in the black gay community, that we have some people who, you know, don't love us. Even, hey, they accept us, but they don't love us. Right. It's the whole stigma thing, and it's harder. I, I tell audience that it's harder for black African-American men because of the church. Mm. You know, you know. Too many times the church poo-poos homosexuality, thinks it's a sin and all of that, but yet and still the choir is mostly gay and they put up with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could, mm-hmm. I could go for hours about that. So it's the whole stigma piece that makes it so difficult for gay, same-gender-loving men, particularly of African descent, to get help. Mm-hmm. And, oh, another thing I want to say is this. I'm a strong proponent in therapy because it took me several, like I said, I'm a a survivor of of intimate partner violence and abuse. And when my abusive relationship ended, it took several, me going through several therapists to find the right one. And I found the right one, and she helped me to understand myself better, to heal, to fully accept my sexual orientation. And it's like this. You know, people say, well, go ahead to your minister, your pastor. That's all well and good if they have a degree in psychology or psychiatry. You have to go to a licensed professional, and God gave us the knowledge to be licensed professionals. We have to go to a licensed professional to get help. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting help. I liken it to, for example, Let's say you break your arm, right? 
You're not going mm-hmm. to eat it yourself. You're going to go to the doctor. She or he will put it in a cast and give you some pain pills probably. That's the same thing with the, with the psyche. You must go to a licensed professional to heal. You know, I have to say, when you talk about stigma, I mean, because there is that part, and we do also have that stigma. I mean, I know I've been to therapy. I mean, I go, I think that, and I tell people that therapy is good. Sometimes when you're going through, if you're going through grief, if you're going through a lot of things, there's nothing wrong with going to see a therapist. And, you know, right. people, people think you're crazy. No, <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, and even if they do, it's like you said, if I know something that's wrong with me physically, I'm going to go to the doctor to find out what's wrong so that I feel well. And you know what? That's just it. And so I think that the other part, that, that mental health part, there's no stigma in that. When you need it, you need right. it, like you said. And some things you just can't work through. You just can't power through. If you don't understand why you're putting yourself in those positions, you know, why you, why you are somehow or other attracted to someone and stay there a day longer than you really should, or maybe you shouldn't have, mm. you have to understand that. So I think that um, I'm glad you said it because I love to hear people who are, you know, we are always coming out, you know, who are willing to come out and say, you know what, hey, sometimes you got to get a little help and you have to find the right one. Someone who right. understands you, you know. I mean, and, and sometimes it takes more than one, you know. No, I didn't have issues with my mom or daddy, you know. I want to talk about this here. <laughs> uh, um, but, I mean, that is just like it. So all of these things that you've been doing, you know, you're a journalist, you've written all of this, and then you started to write books. And, I mean, you're doing the third one. When you started writing this series, was it in your mind that um, did you have a beginning and end point, or did it was like okay, you're following? Um, I want to say it's Wes and Antonio. Exactly. You're, you're following them. So did you want to just sort of go like because like a relationship, particularly if it's a relationship that lasts a while, um, you're going to go through ups and downs and all this other thing. So did you have? a beginning and an end point. You also talked about, like, I know someone was saying, like, oh, do you see it as a movie? And you said you saw it as a TV series. Um, so when you, what made you decide, first of all, to write a series? How long did you think it would go? And how, what did you want to say? What path did you want to talk about with these two gentlemen? Okay, very good questions. Um, I'm a soap opera buff. Uh, um, you know, daytime, it's like Young and the Restless and, and General Hospital. Nighttime would be Greenleaf, Dallas Dynasty. I wanted my – I'm geared more in a serial format. It's the continuing saga. Mm-hmm. And I decided to write the Nothing Can Tear Us Apart series with Shattered being the brand new installment because I wanted to tell the story of two wealthy, upwardly mobile, successful, masculine men of color. Mm -hmm. You've got Wesley, who's that black, wealthy entrepreneur celebrity. You have Antonio, 
who, who is his Latino chief of security, who's also accomplished. And I wanted to show a monogamous gay SGL couple of color mm. who were struggling to keep their monogamous relationship alive against the odds. So I wanted to tell that story of of these two upwardly mobile masculine men of color. I wanted to inject for dramatic tension and for substance, substance the whole intimate partner violence and abuse angle because that's just not talked about enough. And I wanted to give it some soapy goodness. <laughs> um, and in what happens is both Wes and Antonio were strong men, but they have demons in their past. Wes was bullied. He was sexually assaulted by adults when he was a little boy. Antonio, his father, left him so many times that he clings too, too firmly on his significant other. And what happens is, You've got someone who is trying to destroy Wes's life, so he sets Wes up to make it look like he's cheating. Antonio takes the bait, batters Wes. That's the ICVA component mm -hmm. in it. So they have to struggle to get back together. Will they for, Will Wes forgive Antonio? And what I do is I don't let it be a quick fix, Michelle, I actually went to a psychiatrist to find out how to put these two people back together. So in the novel, you, there are passages where they are in couples counseling. So they do get back together, but what happens is Wes couldn't deal with his true sexuality many years ago. He ends up having a relationship with a woman he gets her pregnant. Mm -hmm. He finds out he's actually gay. She ghosts him. He never knows he has this child, this young man. So the young man comes into his life, believes that Wes abandoned him when he was a kid. He's also a raging homophobe, so he is trying to destroy this couple. So mm. it's evolution. The story, each installment, is an evolution with something different, and I'll keep writing until it jumps the shark. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'll keep writing the series until it jumps the shark. Before it jumps, there, before it jumps the shark. Uh -huh. Is there a little of of you, <laughs> you? You you know what? Like what what best character of you? Like in each of them? Like like oh well, this is part of me, and this and this is part of me. You know. So do both characters? Do they pull a little bit from your life experience? And have you had friends who went like, were you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's another good question, Michelle. Actually, I did have a friend who said, a, a friend who identified a lot with Antonio, and he said, yeah, you, you talk about me. I said, not necessarily, not necessarily. But I'm pretty much, I'm more like Wes in that, mm -hmm. Wes has the entrepreneurial spirit. He sometimes wears his heart on his sleeve. 
Um, he will give you the shirt off his back. He, you know, donates to the less fortunate. Um, he's 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 grounded. Antonio mm-hmm. is also very loyal. He's gregarious, more like me, or I'm more like him in that instance. And he can be a bit hot-tempered, and I can be a bit hot-tempered. I got that from my dad. So mm-hmm. I do pull from I, – I use some of my characteristics, traits, and inject them in both Wes and Antonio, but I'm probably more like Wes. Mm-hmm. Does it okay? Oh, because you know, like I said, I, I understand that. There. Have you ever had? Has it ever interfered in your personal relationships? I had someone. I mean, I wrote a children's book, and the name of the of the, the one of the characters was after somebody. Another said, "Was that me?" I said, "No, it's a dog. It's an all imaginary." But then I've also had people like, "Yeah, well, you know, I don't want to show up in one of your poems later on." Have you ever had someone say, "You know, okay"? I read that. Was that me? And okay, I know we had this interaction, and I might have shown my butt, but I don't want you to have be later on be a character in your book. Wow, that's funny because um, when I was writing Frenzy, the predecessor to the new Shattered, um, mm-hmm. I was um, I was in a relationship with a guy that wasn't working out, and I could tell that we would soon split. So near the end, he said something like, "Well, I, I, I don't want to find myself in, in, in frenzy. I, you know, I don't. You know, you, you haven't finished it yet, and I don't want to find myself. In, I don't want to find myself in there. And you know what? I, I looked at him and I said, "No worries, because you're really not that interesting." All right, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, but sometimes they can give you a really good line, you know, and you go, oh, let me write this down. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, I I let him get it all out of the system, and I had this dramatic pause, and I looked at him deep in the eye, and I said, no worries. You're not that interested. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to make a note. No worries. (laughs) I might be using that. (laughs) Oh, I won't charge you. <laughs> oh boy! So um, I, I love that. I love that. Do does each book stand alone, or if someone said, "Okay, wow, that shattered," and I read the back cover of it, and I was like, "Ooh, I gotta read this," because that might relate to where they are now. Does that book stand alone, or uh, does each one stand alone, or if they were shattered, is that going to make them want to go back to? the first and second book? That's another very good question, Michelle. Thus far, I've, you could say they're standalone because what I do is I will give like a recap throughout the book, I, throughout the new installment. Like, for example, within Shattered, I will give you enough recap so that you can buy it as a standalone, but also, too, I think I've put enough interest in it that you will say, let me go and buy Frenzy, you know. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do some recaps so that you're not like, hey, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, 
marketing, I mean, I've had people who, in fact, once I was at D.C., they had a, an author's forum, and I was talking to some people, and they were saying how difficult it is for particularly black authors, black same gender loving authors to get their books mm. um, into bookstores. I mean, oh, I God, have yeah. friends, most of my friends and myself too, you know, you show up at an event or whatever and you've got your little, your little rolling cart of your books that you're selling and you're doing that. How have you found marketing your work? I mean, because, I mean, you, you do a whole lot of things and, but, you know, here's your book, here's your baby. Um, so right. how have you found marketing it? Oh, man, boy. And see, this is what I talk about in seminars and, and, and book signings and, and what have you. Okay, first of all, before you even write, you need to develop a marketing promotional plan. You really, really need to do that because more than likely you're going to be an independent publisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not – you're not going to be picked up by Doubleday and the big ones. You're going to be doing this yourself. So you have to have the marketing promotional plan in place first. With the new novel, Shattered, I have created like a four-phase approach, which will last between 12 and 16 months. And the reason why I'm doing it that, and first of all, thank you for letting me come on the show because, see, this is another opportunity. You're giving me a platform to talk about the book. So I want to thank Mm -hmm. you for that. But having the rollout like that, it puts in your head that it's going to be a tougher, you're, you're going to have a tougher sale because you're not hooked into traditional publishers. And you have to think outside the box. You've got to think about how to promote, how to market. Um, I had like a, a virtual launch party. I had a build-up before the launch party. You know, I'm trying to u- utilize social media as, po- as, as much as possible. I'm on a personal, I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in an in-person virtual um, book tour that you're, that you're part of because I'm on your show. You have to research. You have got to figure out what publications, what podcasts, what media would be interested in your book. You have to have an angle. Why would a bookstore, why would a podcast, why would a publication want to know about your book, have your book? It is so you have to really think this. It has to be very meticulously well thought out, and you have to make it fun. Mm-hmm. You just have to make it fun, and it's a lot of work, but I love doing this. I love doing it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that well, answers your question. Uh-huh. Well, you know, one of the things that um, – and, and and in talking to other authors, one of the things that – I too have found, like when you're doing this, one of the good things about doing it is that you can tell your story. Because I have talked right. to people who have said, like, they possibly could have gone with someone, but they said, well, we want you to tweak this and change that and do this, you know. And um, that isn't, I mean, so say if like Double Day came to you and they said, why, you know, we'd love to do Shattered, but could you change 
Antonio to Antoinette, you know, how would you, you know, and a lot of people say, well, you know, if it's about that paper, you know, I'm, I, I'd be one to does this, do you feel that this allows you to be true to yourself, to tell this authentic story in a voice and setting that really needs to be addressed? And are you okay with that? Where people are going like, well, you know what? This might never make it to, to general hospital level, but are you yep. okay with that and, and knowing that it will rise to the level it's supposed to? Uh, no. And let me give you two stories. Uh, when I wrote mm-hmm. the first installment, um, Rage, um, mm-hmm. I had a meeting with a beautiful, beautiful white woman. And she couldn't understand why I was writing gay material. I said, well, I'm gay. You don't love him. Mm-hmm. And I said... <laughs> And, you know, she really she really pissed me off because I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere with her. I said, listen, ma'am, if I were straight, I would be after you. But I said, I'm not. I said, I am not straight. I am gay, same gender loving. I said, so, you know, I'm not changing anything. I'm not going to answer your question of why I'm writing this. So that was one story. So, of course, I didn't go with her. So here's mm-hmm. story number two. I also had a couple of offers from a small and a medium-sized press, which I won't mention, and they could not understand that I was writing about an upwardly mobile, wealthy black character who was powerful, Mm -hmm. who was worth almost a billion dollars, and they wanted me to change stuff. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do, and they also wanted me to make it even more urban, meaning mm-hmm. more street, you know, with, with the thugs and the hoes and all of that. Mm-hmm. I said, no, no. I said, what I'm writing, you can call it urban sophisticated because it's about people who live in the city, right, you know, but it's sophistication because in the novel I describe the huge mansion that Wesley have. I describe the clothes, the cars. It's like you'll fly on the wall when you when you my fans will say, you know, I feel like I'm just a fly on the wall that I'm really immersed in what you're writing about because you're so descriptive. So no, I'm not changing it. Mm-hmm. I have to be true to me. And, you know, the other thing that I like about it, okay, first of all, um, if it, and, you know, and I'm going to call it like it is, if it were to be a story and you were talking about two white gay men, and that right. it's been, it, it make perfect sense, oh, yeah, you know, because it's still that perception that, you know, right. not only of black people, but of black gay people, of, of like, you know, oh, yeah, it has, they have to be thug and it has to be more urban. That we can't, and you know what? We don't have a look, and we don't have a special place. We are every place, and we are at all levels, all walks of life, all incomes and stuff. So I think that that's important. And just because it doesn't mean that there's a young Wyatt who's out there who won't not only read your book and aspire to be like Wes, um, but also aspire to be like you. Where if you just kept it like to what what he can see around the corner, you're doing him a disservice. Right. And another bone of contention for those two publishers was that 
I was talking about two men of color, one black, one Latino, in a monogamous relationship. And they look at me like, no, no, black, no black person can, no black gay man can be in a monogamous relationship. You know, mm-hmm. we, all, we all swing from the chandeliers, but, you know, no. <laughs> no. Uh, and, and a monogamous relationship over years? Oh, no, you know. Mm-mm. I know, that seems like right. you have said, it's like, besides the story, there's so many, you know, like breaking down stereotypes, which is like, which is a thing that we need to, and also we need to have, you know, successful stories about black gay people from black gay people talking about life. Uh, a black gay person might not think about going through therapy to save their relationship, to work on their relationship. Right. But if you did not have, and I would say the courage to put that in your book, that this is, this, you know, it isn't just like, oh, well, you cheated on me, I'm done, you know, or you cheated on me, but I'm just going to take it and just, harbor this resentment towards you. No, I mean, you, you work on it. You go through it. I also like the part because, you know, I'm always surprised because of not only gay men, but, I mean, I know some lesbians who, like, at one point in their life have had, before they recognized that they were gay, they have in a relationship, and they have a child. And the fact that right. um, Wes has this kid who shows up, and it's like, who's a homophobe, <laughs> and this is going to throw a whole nother. But sometimes we mm-hmm. do have that, kids who suddenly suddenly show up, and then to see where you were back in those days, you know, and how do you deal and handle that. And I don't want to know, but I know because there's going to be a fourth book. I know that because you're yes. not done. <laughs> that, that all of this is going to work out, <laughs> but... But I mean, to sort of, you know, to sort of bring that in, you know, it's like, you know, kids, you know, even when they're grown, can show up and, and cause a whole bunch of drama in your life. Um, so have you observed that? And is that something that as you as you're going through life and you're seeing people, it's like, it's like they want to like, well, it's no big deal, you know, kids come, kids go, I don't care that to really address that and, you know, and maybe even for some young people who, who say like, you know, think about sowing your seeds, you know, as they say, you know, cover it up so that you don't end up later on in life having someone show up, you know, that, that, that is that important part of, of the message that you want to talk about? Like how do you deal with, with your children? The children might show up later on and how are you going to, where you are now, deal with what you did in the past. Right. Well, the Nothing Can Tear Us Apart series hasn't jumped the shark yet because <laughs> Shattered, has, Shattered has one hell of a cliffhanger at the end that will blow your mind. But anyway, yeah. because I really never knew my father, mm-hmm. I wanted to explore father-son dynamics. And, you know, you have to have dramatic tension and and soapiness in novels. So I said, well, what if Wes, back in the day, not being able to deal with being gay, hooked up with the woman, 
you know, had a relationship with her. Then um, she finds out he's actually gay and she is pregnant, but she never tells him and he never knew. And then this son all of a sudden pops into his finally orderly life. And he is so busy trying to prove to his son that he never knew that he existed, that he wants to be a father in his life and he wants to love him and all of that. But meanwhile, the son is pushing back. He's a homophobe. He doesn't believe Wes because he believes what his mother told him. His mother died. And that's why Mm. he didn't find Wes. So he believed his mother. He doesn't want to, the son doesn't want to disbelieve what his mother had told him all of these years. So, and, but sometimes the son really wants that relationship with Wes. So it was, I wanted to show this this contentious family, I mean, father-son dynamic, that push and pull, push and pull, push and pull, push and pull, push and pull effect. And I won't tell people what happened with them, how it resolved itself, but it does have a resolution. But I wanted to show something like that that I thought would be thought-provoking, provocative, and um, and interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I like, too, that, you know, but these are both, like you said, Wes is a successful entrepreneurial. Um, Tonio is like, for, for as, a, as a, the old folks would say, he's, he's apparently built like a brick. <laughs> but, you know, yes. that, that idea that also that people have of gay men, you know, like nobody is, right. you know, they're like you. You don't look like a gay. You know, they're not running around in tutus and they're, you know, they're, they're men, you know, because that's the other thing that somehow other being same gender loving makes you less masculine or less of a man. Right. No, you're a man. You just happen to be attracted to same gender. You, you love the same gender, you know, but right. I thought that that was, that was kind of, I liked, I was listening to some, one body was telling me that they were talking about the visual, like how you could imagine, you know, and that all your writing, has that helped you like really want your words, if someone reads, reads this, these books, has all your writing, even from when you were a kid, makes it where you want it to be like so descriptive to where like they really do feel like they're a fly on the wall. Do you go back and rewrite a scene where it's like, no, I'm not quite there. You know, they're not in the room with me yet. Do you go back and do that a couple of times? Well, yes, I do. I go back and do it several times. Um, Shattered, Michelle, has a lot of word eye candy because these are two masculine Mm. men who Mm -hmm. are truly deeply in love with one another. So there are sex scenes that show that. Um, I've always been of the mindset, even – when I was a very young writer, that you have to be descriptive. Mm-hmm. You know, some authors will say it's best to leave most of it to the imagination of the reader, but I totally disagree with that. I believe, for example, when you're watching a TV show, you see it all. You mm-hmm. see the color of the room, you see the color of the room, the furniture, whatever. I believe that it is my job as a storyteller to be as explicit, as descriptive as possible because I want to take the reader on a trip, on a journey, 
on an excursion. I want to take you to infinity. I want mm-hmm. you to to walk away and say, oh, I remember it was like this, this, that, and the other. So I make sure that my characters are fully fleshed out, fully described, height, weight, smell, all of that. The surrounding, I want you to be a fly on the wall. I want you to be able, when you're finished, I want you to be able to have that impression of what you read still in your head, cemented in your head. Are your books available as audio books? You know, not yet. My Shattered is available in print and is available in um, in electronic. A little bit later on, I'm going to put it on audio book. And are you going to read it yourself or are you going to look for someone else to read it? Because, I mean, I can hear you. I can hear you reading it. Um, you know what? I'm not, I'm debating that. I'm a voiceover talent and instructor, mm-hmm. and I teach groups of folk and people individually how to use their voices better, particularly in the workplace, to convince and persuade and, you know, to be able to do commercials, that sort of thing. I, I'm not sure yet. I need to think about that. Good mm-hmm. question, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I've heard different, you know, um, some people can really do it well. And um, right. for instance, I mean, I'll tell you, Michelle Obama, yeah. I mean, it's like, wow. I mean, that's like a, Hillary Clinton did a book and it was dry, you know, it was sort of like dry. Yeah. She did a book with her daughter. The daughter's chapters were like, hey, and Hillary was like, you know, I really, I really respect you, Hillary, but no. And I have a friend, um, Mecca Jamila Sullivan, who, who wrote this book and it takes place in New York, and you can also tell that these are areas that she did, that she knew literally about. And like you said, where she's reading it, I'm going like, oh, I can see this. I can see that. I can see that. But it was also the same, like, when you, because first I had read her book, and she said, oh, you got to tell me what you think about this audio version. So I think that that's, you know, I can definitely see you doing that. I can see it, hear your voice doing it. I think it will open it up to even a broader audience, because I also have found that um, I've met people with disabilities and particularly people who have, have visual ish, ish images and, you right. know, um, who really appreciate those. And you know what? They need to know these guys. You know, They need to know these guys too. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so where might one find Shattered and all the other two books. Right. Well, you can go to my website, which is wygettevans.com. That's W-Y-A-T-T-E-V-A-N-S.com for Frenzy and Shattered. And also Amazon. Just plug mm-hmm. in um, Wyatt O. Evans Shattered, and it's right there on Amazon. I'm so proud that it's getting – Enthusiastic, solid reviews. Um, it is finding a universal audience, so it's doing well. Um, That's so great. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I know you told me that you're doing a a different type of book release and going around, and I'm, I'm 
honored that I'm part of it, you know, because, I mean, I think that people should know about your book and follow it. Um, what's next for you? What other places will people be able to hear you talk about Shattered? Great. What you do is I've got some stuff in September that I'm firming up. So if you go to WyattEvans.com, the events page, mm-hmm. it's right there. Okay. Well, Wyatt, I want to thank you. Um, like I said, I do look forward to coming back and talking to you again. Um, I I love people who are able to be Renaissance people who never feel like it's over. You know, I had an aunt who said, you know, if you wake up in the morning, it ain't over, you know, and there's something new to try. I mean, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, and um, I look forward to talking to you again. I like how you've been able to take your life and then weave it into things that are helping other people and be open and outspoken about it because, you know, I mean, yeah, everybody, there's some things you don't want to tell anybody about, but then that's fine. You know, there's certain things I can tell you I'm taking to the grave. But there's other things that you know that um, as you talk about it, you are able to help others. And I believe that in all your endeavors, that's what you're doing. And I am honored to be a part of it. Michelle, first of all, thank you for letting me appear on your show, on your show you are a doll, and um, I really, I'll come back whenever you want me to, and I appreciate you. Well, well thank you. Thank you so much, Wyatt. Um, and so this has been a conversation with Wyatt O'Brien Evans, and he has written his latest book is Shattered, um, and you need to check it out. Buy it on Amazon, go to his website, but check it out. Watch for the series, you know. Uh, we are going to, uh, he's going to be, oh, you, oh, this is something. Okay, so, you know, there's all this drama about Yellowstone. Um, right. But this guy who wrote it, and like, like he had, he said like when he saw it, he saw an end date. But then he also has gone back and done these other series. Okay. Do you see besides the life of Wes Antonio and taking that to the end that maybe some of this might jump off to another series of books? Well, actually, I'm formulating a another novel in my head that would not involve Tonio and Wes. So... Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I'm just. I'm really immersed in the Nothing Can Tear Us Apart series, but I am definitely in the process of developing other stuff. Good question. Okay, I just had to put out there because I expect you to be entertaining me for years to come. <laughs> That's a deal. Yeah, for years yeah. to come. Well, Wes. I mean, Wyatt. Again, thank you so much. Um, I look forward to talking to you again in the near future. I will be reaching out to you. Michelle, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. I want to thank my guest, Wyatt O'Brien Evans, the quintessential Renaissance man. This journalist, author, radio personality, intimate partner, violence and abuse, subject matter expert, advocate and speaker voice over instructor and talent, 
is currently celebrating the release of his latest novel, Shattered, the latest installment in the Nothing Can Tear Us Apart series. You can learn more about Wyatt, his books, podcasts, events, and everything about this Renaissance man at his website, wyattevans.com. You can support Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon.com. Current and past episodes of a show can be heard on SoundCloud and Blog Talk Radio. Stay tuned as we continue to introduce you to more amazing individuals living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.